0: Welcome, and thanks for joining us for another sermon from True Vine Baptist Church and Pastor Josh LaGrange. This week, Pastor Josh continues his series on the book of Romans. In this sermon, Pastor Josh discusses four ways that God's truth can be suppressed. You can join us by turning in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1 as Pastor Josh delivers his sermon titled, Wrath Revealed, Part 2, Suppressing the Truth.
1: Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, as we continue to work through what is this great and glorious explanation of the greatest truth God has revealed, message that the Bible calls the gospel. Romans chapter 1, we're going to read verses 18 to 23. Romans 1. 18 to 23, we'll read it together and then I need to pray, ask for God's help one more time and then we'll look and see what the truths that are in here. So Romans 1, beginning in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. All right, if you will bow with me and let's pray. Oh, our Father, God, we come to you before this incredibly sacred act that we're about to take part in. You, the living God, have spoken. God, you have given us the message, you have given us the truths that you want us to know, the truths that we need in order to be right with you. God, you've made your word to be supernaturally powerful so that what happens whenever we read your word is not like reading anything else. Your word transforms. Your word changes. Your word awakens. Your word gives life. And so God, we're asking that all of the glorious things that your word is powerful to do, God, that you'll accomplish in this time. Father, please send your spirit, Father, to cast light on your word. Lord, that we'll understand it, but God, also that we'll pay attention to it. Father, it's it's such a temptation as we sit here to just think about all the other things going on in the world and to miss benefiting from this time. So God, I just ask that you will do special things here captivate us, grip us with your word, O God. Father, we are undeserving of every grace, but we're asking that you will show us kindness, that we will be changed, transformed, awakened, strengthened, encouraged, convicted, Lord, brought nearer to you. In this time, for your sons and daughters who are in this room, those who have trusted in Christ already walking with you. God, I pray this will be a day that we are both challenged but also grown. Father, bring us farther in the knowledge of your truths and in knowing your truths. God, bring us on to greater obedience. But Father, I I pray for any in the room that has not yet turned, not yet come to you not yet called out to you to be saved as you call us to do. Father, and I pray that today would be the day that they are brought to be right with you, forgiven of sins, adopted into your family, given the promise of eternal life. Please, God, be at work in this time for the glory of your name. One way or the other, you are going to be glorified in the end. I ask God you glorify your name right now in this room. Lord, that we would be a people who bow to you in joy and worship you. Have mercy on me to preach. Bless all of us, O God, as we hear. We pray these things through Christ. Amen. Uh, Different creatures react differently to the light. If you ever go catfishing in the summertime, you set up a lantern. If you sit yourself right underneath that, You're going to be tormented that night of all the bugs flying in your face, breathing them in, and a a moth will just drive itself mad, beating itself against against the glass, trying to get to that light. But on the other side, if you've ever walked into a musty basement or a gross bathroom and flicked on the light, you see some creatures reacting in a different kind of way. You'll see cockroaches scurrying to get away from the light. They hate the light. They love the darkness. They thrive in the darkness. We've got a bit of a metaphor there. Scripture says that every one of us in this room this morning, every human will react differently to the light. Some will imitate those who want to go towards the light. Some will be like the cockroach scurrying to try to get away from it. But you're going to react in some way to the light, to the truth of what God reveals. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, which which means you have heard the message of Christ that you must be made right with God, forgiven of sins if you have turned away from rebellion to God and you've come to bow your heart to Him, trusting in Christ, actively following after Him, then what Scripture says is there is a way that in the the greatest way you have already come to the light. There are still some ways we're tempted, lesser ways, smaller ways to run from the light. Scripture says, though you walk in the light now, there was a day when you didn't. We imitated those who run. And another way that scripture will talk about this, this fleeing from the light, it'll refer to it as suppressing the truth. Now, we began last week to walk through this section of the book of Romans where a a a, a long and kind of complex argument is being laid out here in order to prove some things, in order to show some things. And we began last week to kind of talk about the outline of the section. Verse 18 of chapter 1 begins a section that carries us through all the way through chapter 3, verse 20, this argument being formed. Verse 18 is telling us that the wrath of God is being revealed. That God is already, even now, on this earth, already showing his wrath, already pouring out his wrath. And the text goes on to even say some of the specific ways that that is happening. But verse 18 begins to answer this question of if somebody were to say, well, okay, God, you're, you're pouring out wrath. Why? Why are you doing this? A really quick answer could be just the word sin or evil. But what God is doing is God is explaining this Fully laying out an argument so that if you read it and you pay attention, there's nobody who will honestly be able to lift up an excuse to God and say, well, I didn't really know or it doesn't count because of this right here. No, no, no. Uh, An argument is laid out to show all humanity, all nations, all souls stand guilty before God. There's something that we need. There is a grace that we need from God and the forgiveness of sins. The next two full chapters are going to give the overview of the why, how all souls have rebelled against God. And so, what is it? Verse 18 began to explain, the wrath of God is being revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. The ungodliness there was referring to, this isn't a real English word, but unworshipness, all the ways that we rob God of honor, of glory, of love, of reverence, of worship that he is due. And then also all the unrighteous deeds that we participate in, all of the specific acts, ways that we wrong one another. And then there's a little phrase tacked on to the end of that verse, if you notice it there. And this is a... This is a phrase that's tacked on to refer to all. So chapter one begins to address those who do not have access to the scriptures. Chapter two is going to get into the religious people. Even those who may walk around this world with a bit of self-righteousness. Scripture is going to show that every soul is in need of forgiveness. And this phrase is tacked on to say this, all humanity has Suppressed the truth. So, what does that mean? What does it mean to suppress the truth? Well, that's primarily what we're going to think on today. So, some Sundays we work through a whole passage, multiple verses, and there's an outline with multiple points, but then some Sundays it's helpful to just take one truth. And just try to really deeply think on that one truth to try to fully understand. And that's what we're going to do today with this phrase, suppressing the truth. Because I want to submit to you, if we will understand this truth, we're going to understand the world with a greater clarity than we ever have. This one truth answers a whole lot of the questions or even the objections that people have against Christianity, against the gospel that is here. And so we're going to just think deeply on this one truth. So here's kind of how I'm going to divide our time. If you like to take notes and such, let's first spend a little bit of time just looking more at what this means to suppress the truth in general. And then we're going to start to walk through some of the various groups, people groups, And ways that they and we suppress the truth. We've got to be really careful when we talk about sin that's maybe not our sin. We all have sin. We have some sin that's our sin and some sins that's other people's. And we can have a tendency when we talk about sins that are others to get judgy, condemning, Think of my sins as not that big of a deal, but other people's sins, they're real big. We could have a tendency to have have an arrogant kind of tone. So we've got to be really careful in this, but Scripture does still show us this evil and does still show us why there is guilt in refusing to acknowledge God. Why, Why unbelief is not innocent. And God exposes this, and so we're going to look at it, but we're also going to see some ways that we are still tempted to suppress the truth and run from the light. So, we'll get there. First of all, let's think a little bit more on this suppressing the truth. Here's, here's a little bit of a definition. Suppressing the truth is any way that the truths of God are ignored, rejected, exchanged, or manipulated. Ignored, rejected, exchanged, or manipulated. Uh, The word here in the original uh, speaks of to hold, like to hold down, to not allow it to rise. So this is any way that people take the truth of God and, and first try to ignore it, so pretend like it's not there. Just fill the life with lots of, well, just lots of activity. Fill the life with a whole lot of screen time, Whole lot of work, whole lot of play, and whole lot of TV. Whole lot of bringing the kids to soccer practice. A whole lot of just busyness and things like this, and then never thinking on the big truths, the, the, the truths of eternity. Never dealing with God. Never really addressing my sin. Never really thinking about the state of my soul. Never really dealing with reality. Never, never considering how it is that I'm made right with the God who is the judge of the living and the dead, but it's just to pretend like it's not there. Just ignore it all. Or number two, suppressing the truth is maybe just to outright reject truth. To that little voice inside of us in our conscience that's crying out when we encounter truth, there's that little voice going, yes, 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 to just deny it. To just refuse to acknowledge it. Or number three, it is to exchange the truth of God by choosing to believe other ideologies, worldviews, beliefs, religious ideas. So it is to substitute the truth for something that is desirable. Or number four, it is to manipulate or twist the truth, to be a spin doctor, to alter the truth so that we can, we can twist it just enough so that I feel better about it or whatever is inconvenient about it. And listen to me, the gospel is very inconvenient. The truth of God that he reveals... From heaven, it is an inconvenient, uncomfortable, painful kind of truth. So there's a way to kind of try to alter it, to put a little spin that makes it a little bit more positive, remove some of the negative parts about it so that it feels better, and then to propagate it. That's, that's suppressing the truth, spinning the truth, watering down the truth, deluding the truth. It's being dishonest with the truth. And so the argument that the passage is laying out is this. Everybody knows the truth of God. We'll just kind of use that phrase as uh, as a description of the biggest kinds of truth. Now, this passage and some other passages will go through and it will say some of the specifics, maybe lay out a dozen, couple dozen specific truths that every human knows. And listen, this is part of the point of the first chapter. Even those who do not have access to the scriptures. God has made the truth of himself evident. He's made it clear. How has he done that? Well, that's part of what we'll get into in some of the coming weeks. But just the quick overview here. God has made truths about himself evident out there and in here. That when we look at creation, if we're honest, there are ways that we see the design and the beauty The wisdom of God, certain aspects of God, of his truth are evident. And then God has put some things just inside of us. We just instinctively know them. God has put the truths about himself out there in this way. And so what the text is arguing is that God has made the truth of himself clear, but instead of embracing those truths, Instead of being honest with the truth and coming to God with a humble heart that seeks him, all mankind has suppressed the truth. And they will do so until the new birth. Flip over to John 3 with me for just a second. Look at Jesus address this. John 3, find verse 19. In John 3 verse 19, read read a little section here. It says this, This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Now, in that passage, the light that's being referred to there, this is Jesus. So this is referred to all of the components of the gospel, all those truths that are a part of that main message of how we are made right with God through Christ. But the way that Jesus explains this Applies to the most basic truths of God. Why do people run from the truth of God? And even us Christians, why did we at one time? Why would we run away from the truth? Friends, being confronted with the light exposes some painful things. The truth of God's word exposes the uncleanness of our hearts. The gospel throws in our face what is perhaps the most painful truth you and I will ever have to deal with. You are evil and so am I. You are unrighteous. You are unclean before the holy God. There is a heaven and you do not deserve to go there. There is a kingdom of heaven that is coming to this earth and you and I have no standing by whereby we can say before God, you owe me this. We're unclean. And the gospel shows that you and I in breaking the law of God, we have a guilt before him. We have a legal guilt. And when we are shown that legal guilt, there is something in the heart that begins to feel dirty, ashamed. Our conscience is crying out against us and we feel that guilt. And guilt is one of the worst feelings on the planet, is it not? It's been said that if somehow humans could figure out a way to shut off guilt in their brains, all of psychology would come to an end. That a lot of the, the yearning, the groaning, the searching, the hungering that goes on in our lives is this lusting, this raging desire to somehow alleviate the guilt that we feel. And so somehow, some way, every human comes to some kind of belief that makes them feel okay. It might be taking the truths of Christianity and putting just enough of a spin on it to where I'm really not all that bad. Or it might be just denying that there's a God altogether. But somehow, some way, the heart deals with guilt. And that's really uncomfortable. The gospel throws in our face this guilt. Now, the greatest news in all of the cosmos is that God has given a way for our guilt to be cleansed that not only the legal guilt that we have to be taken away, but also for our consciences to have peace, for the living God to say to you, you're my sons and my daughters. I no longer look at you like that. I've accepted you in Christ. So God gives us the answer and the remedy. But first, we don't understand the remedy until we understand the bad news and the fact that there is a guilt. But when we are confronted with the gospel, our Flesh, that sinful part of our hearts has a natural tendency to want to run away from the light. And so so listen, here is what the passage is arguing. God has given enough light to every soul, and this is where we gotta be really careful because we could really get wrong here. God has given enough light that every human knows of God, knows they need God, And has enough to want to search out for God. And if they search for God, if they follow the light they have been given, they will be given more light. Do not misunderstand this, friends, because we got to be really careful here. The scripture teaches that every person must trust in Christ in order to be forgiven of sins. Yes, even those who do not have access to the Bible. I know that opens up this whole other can of questions, and it is a lot of times people's objection to the gospel. This passage is going to deal with that. Just not yet. We're getting there. But what the text is showing, every person has been given enough light to know they need God and to know they ought to search for him. And God gives the grace that every person who searches for him is given more light. But here's the point Jesus is making. The problem with why humanity doesn't honor God is not that they don't know. It's not that there's not been enough light. The problem is what we do with the light. And so let's talk about how some various groups suppress the truth. The first way we'll look at this, the most obvious way to suppress the truth about God is with outright rejection that there is even a God. Atheism. Outright rejection that there is even a God. Modern atheistic naturalism so, okay, so naturalism is that belief that all that exists is what is natural, okay, so nothing supernatural. It claims that they're all just trying to be objective, just weighing the evidence. We're just going where the evidence leads us. Now, before I go any further, let me, let me just kind of give a little bit of subpoint, side note here. The purely objective human is a myth. Okay, mythological creature does not exist. I, I know that there is all this sort of idea that's perpetuated. Okay, so you got like all these sitcoms. You'll, you'll kind of see how up-to-date I am on TV. Okay, like the Big Bang Theory. Some of these shows like Bones and things. They've, they've got these characters in there who are scientists, and they're like purely robotic. They're just like computers. They feel no emotion, no bias, just totally objective. Totally pure reason that's all up there. That is such a joke. There is no human that is completely objective who just only uses reason and follows logic only. And and, and guys, some of the proof of that is just looking at the weight of some of the absurd lies, some of the false information that so often comes out of the scientific community, And so sometimes biology teachers in a high school class will sort of give their classroom this idea that there's this whole class of people out there, this whole group of people, and they only think like computers, just totally objective in this. And that's just not reality. And there are dozens and dozens of examples of that. But listen to me. When Time Magazine runs an article on Lucy, the supposed missing link between apes and men, do you remember this from a few years back? They run this article... Well, afterwards, when later information comes out that some of what was reported was bogus, it was junk science, falsely reported. Time Magazine doesn't run another article exposing all the things that were in error. Just this idea just keeps getting perpetuated that there's this class of purely objective creatures. There's no such thing. We are all sinners. We are all tempted to suppress the truth and there is an exchanging that happens. But let's consider this claim that we're just being purely objective. The argument that Christians often make when dialoguing with atheists is Romans 1. We just say it differently. All of creation displays the handiwork of God. All of the cosmos shows design, beauty, order, wisdom, Listen, from the cells that make up every living thing to the order of the galaxies, from the uh, patterns on butterflies and moths, from the law of God written on our hearts to the complexities of the human body, love and marriage, the desire for justice, the fact that every person feels purpose. It's all screaming out design. The hollowed out bones of birds so that they're lighter so as to fly. All of it is all screening, screaming a maker. And if there is design, then there is a designer. There is a designer. And contrary to what many want you to believe, there are a great number of scientists. And at different times, there are different waves of these movements that go through A growing number of scientists, molecular biologists, astrophysicists, medical doctors, etc., etc., who believe that the atheistic naturalism theory is absurd. That Darwin's theory about macroevolution, because we all believe in adaptation, but his theory on macroevolution, the Big Bang, and then all of this is absurd and illogical. And friends, there are even certain branches of the sciences which see an increasing number of Christians growing in them. One of them is molecular biology. That's those who study the world and the makeup of molecules and even build molecules. And some of them, what they say is, what they see, the deeper that they go, the more design they see, which makes this idea of no creator seem completely absurd, For a few decades now, there's been these movements of the intelligent design movement or the design theory movement. You may have heard of some of those, but there's also this whole population of scientists who aren't a part of these movements. They just see design and they're acknowledging it. And there are hundreds upon hundreds of specific examples all over the world, all over the cosmos of design. We don't have hundreds and hundreds of minutes, but think of one right here. There's, there's one argument, it's referred to as irreducible complexity. Sounds really complicated, but all it is, is just saying this, that there are certain parts of this world that are designed in such a way that they're complex, and if you remove even one part of them, the whole system doesn't function. Okay, take your eyeball, okay? Your eyeball is made up of 10, nice round number, 10 different parts Cornea, the pupil, the iris, the lens, the vitreous humor, the retina, the sclera, etc. You've even got blood vessels that are all pulling it all together. But here's the deal. All 10 of those parts have to be present and in the exact arrangement for you to see. If you're born and you have nine of those parts, you don't see. If you're born with all 10 parts and they're not in the exact arrangement that they need to be you don't see. And so the argument that a lot of scientists are bringing up is, look, it seems pretty obvious that this was created all at once and functional. The idea of a slow process of small adaptations where the cornea then grew and then later the iris and all of this kind of stuff, it makes no sense because it all has to be present for it to be functional. If you love this kind of thing, there are just dozens and dozens of more examples. All of the universe screams design And listen, we talked about like a complex example of the eye. But all over the world, there is a reason why in every single culture, even if you go to the jungles and encounter a tribe that has not had contact with the outside world, there is still worship, understanding of afterlife, understanding of a coming judgment, a, a, a practice of justice, all of these things. God has put these things instinctive in the world. All of it cries out design. In fact, here's here's a quote from Richard Dawkins. Uh, Dawkins is probably the world's leading spokesman for naturalistic evolution. He's written some books like The God Delusion. And if you engage in this world at all, okay, you are going to deal with Richard Dawkins' works. But here is Here's a quote from one of his works. Biology is the study of complicated things that give the appearance of having been designed for a purpose. Okay? This is a guy who doesn't want to see design. And he says, mm, can't help it. Whenever we go deeper, we see design. And that's one of the points I want to kind of ring home here. Sometimes when that college biology professor stands in front of a class He kind of gives this idea that, you know, look, some of you little imbeciles right now believe in God. I pity you. But if you go deeper and you really start to study, you start to see no evidence. But actually what we find is this. The deeper we go, the more understanding we have, the more design is shown. Here's a quote from Francis Crick, co-discoverer of DNA. By the way, there's a whole whole awesome study. there, DNA was kind of a game changer in terms of showing design and such uh, that is there. Uh, We'll talk about him more in the coming weeks. But Francis Crick said this, biologists must constantly keep in mind that what they see has not been designed, but rather evolved. In other words, what he's saying is, I know when you study this, you're going to see things that really look like design, but we got to stay true. Okay. We got to resist. Like, I know you're being drawn into this way to acknowledge design, but we got to stay true to our theory. Do you see the insanity of this? This is recognition that the cosmos cries out of the glory of God. We see it, but we got to stand strong. Don't, don't, don't fall to it. Even though all the world around them is showing this. Um, if you're in Romans 1, still look down at verse 25. Look what it says. They exchanged the truth of God for A lie. The knowledge of God is before them, but it's almost like they've taken a solemn oath. We must not believe it. We got to resist. That is probably the most blatant form of disregarding the truth of God, to just simply reject it. Let me just say one more thing real quick about atheistic naturalism before we move on. If you look at all the categories of life, if if you were to break down all of life into areas... Atheistic naturalism offers an explanation, and it's a a sophisticated sounding explanation, but for only one area of life, basically just how the natural order functions, and that's it. And all of these other big areas of life, it has no way that it gives, you know, even at best a satisfactory answer, and it's even contradictory to other areas of life. When you start to consider things like the law of God written on our hearts, that all humans have a moral code, love and marriage and caring for the weak and why every human feels a purpose, naturalism has not only has nothing to offer in explanation, it's actually in contradiction to these things. It offers an explanation of simply one area of life. And you have to be suppressing other areas of reality in order to accept this. The the clearest suppression of the truth of God is outright rejection. Well, secondly, here's maybe the next step down. Romans 1 goes on to describe the suppression of the truth as those who, look look at verse 23 back in the text, exchange the the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. If atheism is the most blatant form of suppressing the truth, then here would be the next step down. It is to recognize there must be a God, but choosing to worship gods or rather ideas of gods rather than the one true and living God. So paganism. Paganism is the worship of false gods. And and let me pause here for a second, just make this point uh, clear as well. There's always a choice involved with faith. There's always a decision that is a part of what we choose to believe. I know a lot of times the world acts like that's not the case. You know, we're all just carried along by the objective evidence. That's not reality. There's always a choice in what we believe and who we believe. We've all kind of experienced that scenario There's a mom at the park and another mom walks up to her and tells her that her child did something. And the mom looks at her kid and goes, did you throw dirt in that kid's face? "Oh, Oh, no, mommy. I would never, never do that. Well, he says he didn't do it. We've all kind of encountered that reality of there is this dilemma. Here is every. Feasible piece of evidence in reality being confronted, and the mom refuses to believe something that's suppressing the truth, but it's also illustrating there is a choice. There is a decision that is involved in what we believe. We're not just carried along by this. There is a choice. And when it comes to paganism, those who worship false gods, here is why it is evil. Many times, People argue, sometimes even Christians, we can kind of think, well, they don't really know better, so wouldn't it have to be innocent? How can it be wrong if they don't know better? But here's what the text is arguing. The text is arguing that the worship of false gods is not innocent. God has given enough evidence of himself to show who he is what his character is, what his nature is. The paganism rejects the truth of God and chooses to honor false gods. There is an exchanging of the truth of God for a lie. Here's a bit of an example. In the Old Testament, when Israel came to the land of Canaan, God had given them instructions on what they were to do. They were to tear down the false altars. They were to burn the false idols. God said, if you do not do this, they will be a stumbling block to you in years to come. And we see exactly um, what God warned is what came about. The religion of the peoples around became a stumbling block to them. But listen, when Israel chose to participate in Baal worship and Asherah worship, follow this with me. It's It's not that it was not only sinful But there was also something unintelligent that was done here. They weren't drawn in that the theology of Asherah was just so academically compelling that they were just drawn in by the beauty. Now listen, friends. Asherah was a sex goddess. She was a fertility goddess. Through archaeology, we have uncovered these statues, ancient statues of Asherah. It is of a naked woman. And the ways that they participated in the, quote, worship of Baal and Asherah is they would take part in giant group orgies at massive Mardi Gras type parties. Listen to me. The men were not drawn in because of the compelling evidence put before them. They were drawn in by sexual lust. They were drawn in by something that was appealing to the flesh. And listen, in every false religion, there is some way that the flesh some way that the flesh is indulged, some way that it is appealing, that it is enticing to the flesh. Every false religion has something about it that is comfortable, convenient. The gospel, the gospel is the most ego-destroying message on the planet The gospel is the message where God gets all of the glory and we get none because it is all by grace. But everything about a works-based religion is appealing to the flesh. There's something in the ego that feels good about, I did this. I reached the apex. I made myself right before the God. The gospel tells you there's nothing that you can do. You are completely dependent on what someone else has done in your place. And there's a way that paganism is exchanging the truth of God for a lie. It's suppressing the truth. But friends, along those same kinds of lines, even under the umbrella of the name of Christianity, there is exchanging of the truth of God for lies that takes place. Every time that a version of Christianity teaches doctrines that are in clear contradiction to the scriptures because they are more convenient there is a rejection of the truth and an embracing of a lie and there are some times where a group will do this kind of thing and we confront it and be like hey that's not what the Bible says and there'll be all these kinds of well you know I don't agree with Paul on this one or don't believe that part of the Bible really counts just go to funerals And see this constantly. What you'll constantly see is this idea where somebody gets up and reads a passage of the Bible that has to do with heaven. But then, hey, what about this other part that says the only way to be right with God and the only way to be forgiven of sins? I I don't believe that part. That's not only sinful, here's part of the point it's not accidental, it's not innocent. It is a contradiction, it is a rejection, it is unintelligent to pick parts of the Bible, reject other parts, that is an exchanging of the truth of God, that is spin-doctoring, that is altering the truth of God. And friends, you and I are tempted in these kinds of things as well. You who have embraced Christ, you've believed the gospel, we've come to the light, There are lesser ways that we have a tendency to do this. Do we not occasionally come to a passage and not fully receive it? Do we not occasionally kind of come up with some excuses of why I can wiggle out of this command? And it doesn't really apply to me. Well, you know, it's okay for me to, you know, because of this situation. Well, God knows where I am. God knows what I meant or I don't like my wife. My husband's an idiot. That's why it's okay for me to All of these ways that commands of God get wiggled out of, that is suppressing the truth. So what about you? Christian, what about you? Let's resolve ourselves to come to the word and bow to it like it really is the word of the living God. Let's resolve ourselves to do, James 1, 22, be doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. It may be, Christian, that the main application you and I take away from it this morning is to repent of ways that we have suppressed the truth in our lives. Maybe even asking God to show us some of those areas that we have wiggled out of things he said. But what about you this morning who has not responded to the gospel? What about you who have still never specifically turned from your sins, trusted in Christ? If you've never specifically prayed to tell God that you trust in Christ and you want to be saved, you want to be forgiven of your sins, what is your reason why you haven't? If I got to have a conversation with you and I got to ask you, what's what's your hang up? Why will you not Is it that you don't believe any of this? Is it that you don't believe Jesus is the Son of God? Is it that you don't believe that he really is Lord of heaven and earth? Are you assuring yourself of some parts of the Bible? I'm sure I'll be fine. I'm sure I'll be in heaven. But rejecting other parts? Where have you suppressed the truth? Because make no mistake, friends. God doesn't lie and he doesn't exaggerate when he says that every soul must come to him, every soul must be saved, every soul must repent of their sins, trust in Christ in order to be adopted by God, he's not exaggerating. That's not for some kind of dramatic effect. Friends, we bow or we burn. We bow the knee to King Jesus. We acknowledge him as Lord and Savior or you find yourself amongst a crowd of other suppressors of the truth. Don't run from the light. Come to Christ. And if you want to do that today, if you've got questions about that, just find me after the service is over. If you've got questions, even objections, want to ask more, let's talk. Let me close with in prayer. Oh, Father, um, Please show your grace and God, the truths that you have in front of us in your text, I pray they will affect us. Um, Father, I, I pray, Lord, please do not let us forget. Please do not let us just go out of here and get on with our day and get distracted before we deal with you. Father, I pray for any soul in the room that has not yet come to you, that thus far has run from the light. God, I just pray that they won't be able to run any longer that they will get honest before you. And God, for all of us in the church family, Father, please show us ways that we have suppressed your truth and bring us, God, to submit to you honestly. Father, please make us a church family that is submissive to your word, that honors you, Lord, by sitting ourselves underneath your word. Please give us your grace as we leave. Pray your blessing. Ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed Pastor Josh LaGrange's sermon titled Wrath Revealed, Part 2, Suppressing the Truth. Tune in again next week as we continue through God's Word at True Vine Baptist Church. We also invite you to like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter at TrueVineIND, or visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org.